as I was um, uh, developing this non-profit organization called Council for Economic Empowerment of Women, I, I came across, um, I met so many people. And uh, as they were, as there was a group that was starting a new initiative to support private sector development and microfinance. Uh, they had a, an idea to start a microfinance center as part of that private sector uh, uh, support and training organization, which was supported by the uh, United States Agency for International Development, USID. I was kind of headhunted to 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 go in and help them be set up and manage the microfinance center as part of the Presto project. Uh, my boss there, Anne Ritchie, I'll forever be grateful for her. Uh, she she was the director of the center, and I worked alongside her to set up this uh, this microfinance center. We're working for Price Waterhouse Coopers as a subcontractor, and uh, I remember taking a trip all over the country to mobilize uh, community-based organizations and uh, other uh, organizations that were already involved in microfinance to tell them about this initiative, to tell them about the kind of services that um, we had set up, and to get them interested in coming to uh, coming to get involved in all the work we're doing because uh, part of our performance-based um, payment system required that you know we got people involved, we got them um, kind of made aware of the services and we designed training programs, we designed with the help of other consultants, we designed microfinance sustainability models and so on and so forth. So that was another part of my career that really helped me to grow a lot. Uh, that's fantastic. Now, uh, I want to address uh, the big elephant in the room here, the, the big change uh, from moving, you know, making the decision to... Um, to move out of Uganda with your kids. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about how that ultimately impacted your life and, uh, and career uh, as a whole. Okay. Um, in 1999, as you say, that was a very uh, life-changing event uh, when I actually took my three boys and moved out of Uganda. Uh, one of the biggest reasons why I left uh, Uganda was because um, the father of my kids had come to uh, the United States and um, we didn't really have a chance of uh, connecting very well. And there was a lot of social pressure on me as strong stereotypes about what a women's leader had to be like and how they were perceived in society. You had to have your family, to you know, you know your husband and everybody, you know, together. And so there was that social pressure on one side. And uh, I, being a professional woman, I kind of one of the ways of coping with that social pressure uh, because of the family situation I was in at the time, I thought uh, when this opportunity to leave Uganda came along, I grabbed the opportunity. Uh, there was an opportunity to go and... Um, work for the United Nations University and as part of that park uh, they gave me an opportunity to pursue uh, a doctorate, a PhD and so I took the opportunity, grabbed my kids and off we went to the Netherlands. 
Fantastic. Sure. So now, uh, then what happened there? Talk to me about uh, how life was after that. How did you navigate uh, everything? Um, you know, just almost packing and leaving everything. Uh, oh, that was it, uh, that was very, very tough. Um, first of all, the biggest challenge for me was um, how to move my kids out of their schools, out of a system they had grown up in, out of uh, the relatives they knew, their friends, and their sports. They were all involved in sporting activities. They were all I- they all had friends. And so I navigated that system, you know, telling them that, look, this is going to be um, a new opportunity for, o- for all of us. We are not getting disconnected from your friends and from your activities. We're just going to continue with the same activities in a different geographical location. So uh, that was very tough. They were all very upset with me. They were going to leave their dog, their beloved dog. And it was really tough. It was really tough as a mother to kind of um, get them out of out of their system. So uh, when we went to the Netherlands, I, I was lucky uh, because... Um, the, my employer had, um, they were going to pay tuition for my kids, part of it at least, and uh, the job was really, really very helpful. That's how my sons managed to attend very good uh, international schools. And um, uh, it was very, very tough because I was working, I was studying, I had family, my sons, you know, uh, you know I had, had to be picked from school certain times, and uh, I still had my community-related activities all over the world. I remember one time I had to go to, to a meeting in Ghana, and uh, I had a relative that was uh, taking care of uh, Edo. And um, it was a Saturday. I, know, I knew he had soccer. I knew he was on a soccer field. That Saturday when I landed at the airport, I asked the guy, the taxi driver, to just drive me to, <laughs> to the field, to the soccer field. And there I was. I was uh, he didn't know that um, when he p- put up his head. And um, he used to love soccer a lot. So um, he put up his head and saw me up uh, on a, you know, starting you know, on the banks of the field. And I said, hey, hey, no. And he was like, mom. So he, he was distracted. He was part of um, a team. I think was, I don't know, he was a forward. He was playing uh, as a forward player that time. He was very excited. I distracted him. And I was like, wow, <laughs> flying kisses with each other. So that is the kind of thing that most professional women have to deal with, you know, dealing with um, making sure you're there for your kids, making sure you're there for the community you're serving, making sure that you're doing your job. And at the time, I was also studying. So, yeah, but we managed to to go through that that phase of life. And, um, again, these kinds of experiences just strengthen you. Fantastic. Now, thank you so much for sharing a lot of those things, you know, just based Hearing your background and story, I hear a lot of um, deep experience in, in training others, uh, strong research background, uh, senior management experience. Now, tying that into what you do today. So what have you been doing the last uh, number of years uh, uh, as it relates to healthcare? Because I know that has been 
a central focus for you uh, the last number of years? Okay. Uh, after my uh, studies in the Netherlands, I was lucky to get uh, a position at an international research institute in Ethiopia. I went there as an innovation scientist, and um, the job there was to work with um, other scientists. I was in the socioeconomic, I was on the socioeconomic side of things, working with, uh, you know, vaccine developers and these biotech experts, trying to put their projects into a socioeconomic, to guide them in involving communities in evaluating projects and uh, doing community um, appraisals and making sure, you know, uh, the people that were trying to help participated in uh, developing those projects and um, resourcing them and that kind of thing. So I did that and um, uh, then I had to make, a, you know, another big decision to come and, uh, you know, make sure that I didn't stay in Ethiopia for another term, but instead come and support my kids and continue supporting them. They were at an age where I really had to um, be there every night to guide them. Uh, some One of them was about to enter to get into college. And uh, I remember him calling me when I was doing this project in Ethiopia, calling me in the middle of the night because of the time difference. He sometimes he didn't look at the time, so <laughs> he would call at around um, maybe two o'clock Ethiopia time, and um, because the uh, the the entire system at the institute knew knew about my kids and were all on the phone all the time, so they would say, "Doctor Rose, your son is on the phone," <laughs> and then uh, you know I would, and then my son would say, "Mom." They asked me to do this. This They gave me this uh, problem to solve. What should I do? <laughs> and then we would solve some math problems on the phone. <laughs> we would talk about what was going to eat and things like that. So long-distance learning and uh, long-distance homeschooling, so to speak. <laughs> long-distance guidance. But uh, I used to come every so often. You know, like every two months to come and see what was going on. So when I came back, actually I started elder care right at an early age. When my mother um, uh, was battling this very long illness, I, me being the, the oldest daughter, I took on that responsibility as her main family caregiver. I started taking care of her. I didn't really know much about caregiving. But, uh, and I wasn't prepared for it, but uh, I took the responsibility head on. And um, so um, I landed on the job, and uh, I didn't know what this involved, but I had to do it. And um, so that, that's what happened. I got those skills, but I wish I knew more at the time. And uh, that's how I started as a family caregiver. I was actually thrust into that role, suddenly. And uh, that took a little bit of time to get, um, to figure out what that really meant. And it changed my entire life. And um, so I had, I became very curious because my mother having that midwife, she was a midwife, she knew a little bit about everything, about, you know, caring and things like that. I think she expected more from the people that eventually um, 
when she was being hospitalized and things like that, she could see the inadequacies there, the quality of care that she was getting. And I wish I could actually have done more at that time. I wish I knew what I know now to make her feel uh, happier and more uh, comfortable and more satisfied with the quality of care she was getting. But um, so when I came to the U.S., um, I all my relatives and friends were somehow involved in some kind of healthcare jobs as medical assistants. Some were doing nursing training, others were doing um, dental hygiene training, others were doing uh, X-ray technician jobs and that kind of thing. So I became very curious why people were going into healthcare and that. So um, I took a, a, a course because uh, I knew I wanted to do something in healthcare as an entry point into, into what everybody else was doing. So I attended a, a, a CNA training program, CNA's Certified Nursing Assistant Program, and uh, at the Red Cross, American Red Cross. And boy, I've never turned back because that was an eye-opener. That was the beginning of... Uh, that was the launch of my second career, so to speak. So uh, I got very, very interested in the content of uh, what they were teaching us, of the training program, but it was kind of rushed through. There was a lot of material, a lot of content that was being thrown at us in the little time available. You know, remember I had to, I had kids at home. I had to, I was multitasking right. at the time. And that was, um, but for me, that was the beginning of formal, the formal elder care industry. I was introduced to, to the formal care, um, elder care industry at the time after that training. Fantastic. And you'd also go on to have a master's degree? Uh, yes. Uh, before I had a master's degree, I because uh, at that time I was doing some writing assignments for my old clients, uh, long distance. But on the side, I was doing direct care, going to the front lines to actually help families, to help elderly people that needed support at the front lines of care. And um, in between, I saw this opportunity at the Boston uh, School of Boston University School of Social Work. Uh, they had uh, a program on care management. I enrolled uh, in that program, and uh, that again launched me into the care management side of things. And uh, together with my direct elder care frontline skills that enabled me to start a private elder care service. Again, combining my innovation background, my economics background, my family caregiving experience, and my management experience in the past, that kind of uh, led me to start my own private elder care service, which, is, um, which I'm continuing with up till today. Fantastic. Now, if there's a constant theme in your career, what would you say uh, it, it would be? Um, if there's one consistent uh, theme in my career, it would be it would be um, the effort and desire to turn my knowledge and experience into uh, something and talent into something useful for the people that 
I work with to uplift and support them to live better lives, uh, to live their fullest lives and uh, have a, a good quality of life. And uh, for me, wha- the reason uh, for doing what, uh, what I do is simple. And um, jobs are initiatives with a social cause. Everything I do, I'm very passionate about what I do in the elder care industry because I look at it as um, something that helps others to live better, others to live a fuller life, families to have the peace of mind, to uh, making sure that uh, having me there or having me guide them, connect them with services and solve problems and uh, assess care and point them to different care aids that could help their loved one uh, achieve a good quality of care and really sustain sustain their values because so often uh, what we see in elder care, uh, or put differently, medical professionals repair health. And they don't really do a lot to sustain the soul. And uh, what I've seen is that sustaining the soul, sustaining one's values, the things one has lived with in life, is very, very important as people age. And so once you touch the things that are important, once you're able to reach the (coughs) the person's soul, in terms of what is important in their in their lives, in terms of the values they've lived with, then you've really managed to improve their quality of life. So for me, as I do these jobs, this is what I look for. Are we doing something that is really important, that is touching the soul of this person, uh, that is helping them sustain sustain their lives and values in life, retain their dignity and self-esteem, uh, remain relevant and true to their identity. So these kinds of things is what actually drives me to do the work that I do and to remain very passionate, to make sure that there's that, there's that, inner, there's that inner part of their lives that we help them sustain as they age. Fantastic. And uh, I get the sense that through this podcast, uh, it, it's really more of a reflection of a uh, culmination of all your experiences, and it's really tying into uh, also the thing that you ultimately want to do, as I'm hearing. Um, talk to me a little bit about some of the, the, the topics you hope to address through this podcast going forward. Yes, uh, with respect to um, care for the elderly and others living uh, with disabilities, a key issue is the growing demand. The growing demand for care as life expectancy increases and the demand for aging care increases. People are living longer into old age and uh, with physical and mental disabilities. So there's an increasing demand for care. And but the supply is not growing at the same rate as the the demand. So uh, there's a shortage of direct care workers, and um, in some places the shortage has risen to what some refer to as a direct care worker crisis. And so um, among the topics that we'll be talking about, um, 
you know how do we plug that gap how do we address um how do we address that shortage of direct care workers uh, we'll be talking about that. We'll be addressing the circumstances that family caregivers are facing because they continue to be um, the major, the major sources of caregiving to their families. Uh, we'll also tackle uh, many other topics um, that have a bearing on care. Uh, we'll be looking at demographic trends. We'll be looking at um, understanding aging. There are so many stereotypes. You know, there's, so, there's a language that people tend to use. Things like senior moment. You know, you hear people honking when a senior is driving on a, on a, on a, on a road, driving slow, and people make, you know, use language that might not be very, that is stereotyped but kind of abusive in a way. So helping people to understand uh, language that is, you know, that is more friendly for our um, aging loved ones would go a long way in helping to reduce the stereotypes and the, the language that we use for seniors. Uh, we'll be talking about aging experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll be talking about family-centered care. We'll be talking about family dynamics because one of the things I've observed is um, as we try to manage resources and provide care to uh, to people, family dynamics, you know, how siblings relate to one another, who makes decisions, and how the uh, spouses of uh, these children of the elderly relate with one another. There's, there's some dynamics there that can actually enhance or complicate the, the, the care the care endeavor for their loved ones. Uh, we'll be talking about options in senior care, uh, we'll be talking about uh, senior housing. We'll be talking about aging at home, aging in place, which is uh, one of the preferences for most people. We'll be talking about you know how you age at home comfortably with modifications and uh, services. We'll be talking a lot about stories of care and lessons that we've learned. I've been um, lucky to have very many caregivers all through my career that have told me, you know, these stories of care. And um, I think people need to hear directly about those stories. Uh, I've learned a lot from them, and um, uh, I can't wait to, to share mm -hmm. them with the world. We'll be talking about um, different uh, ways of caring for people with different chronic illnesses, especially dementia. There's a lot of uh, experience there that we can share. Uh, we'll be talking about how to support how to support uh, direct care workers. Uh, they will be talking about inequities in the culture of care, the notion that uh, long-term health care costs have for long been cut on the backs of these very um, workers that are really under-supported, frontline direct care workers that are under-supported, under-prepared to tackle that. Uh, to tackle that task, yet everybody expects them to provide high-quality care, adequate care when the pay is not really, the pay is really minimal and the tasks that they do remain invisible, they remain undocumented, and 
in a sense, the, uh, the training they get is inadequate. And so I look at that whole thing as a culture of care that needs to be altered, that needs to be confronted, so that we consider and treat these workers as essential workers, and we pay them as essential workers. We train them to provide the essential quality work that we expect them to provide. So we'll be talking about those inequities. We'll be talking about, you know, reimagining the the um, direct care work, frontline direct care work as a profession of its own. Because what they do is so essential. And we need to start developing a profession out of that. Because right now, it's like a dead-end career for most of them, unless they decide to branch off into uh, medical professions like nursing, like uh, pharmacy technician, like that kind of medical training. But uh, I'm imagining I have this vision of uh, providing training to CNAs, for example, that would allow them to stay within the aging aging profession, like if we expanded their training, added uh, gerontology, bits of gerontology training, give them some more information, some more education about care and about training them to stay in that and growing within that that profession, I think that would help them to stay instead of, uh, and that would help, to, uh, help us to address the, the crisis, the direct care worker crisis. So those are some of the topics that we are, we are going to be talking about, and I think a lot more will develop as we go along. And that's fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, first and foremost sharing a little bit of uh, your background, uh, sharing some of your uh, experiences, uh, you know, both personal and uh, professional, and. Uh, you know, and certainly uh, expanding on some of the things that you're going to be uh, focusing on during this podcast. Uh, we're certainly excited to hear uh, a lot more from you uh, going forward. But before wrapping up this um, podcast, I wanted to do a little bit of a rapid fire for people to get to know <laughs> you a little bit more. Uh, so I'm going to ask uh, questions and, and you're just going to uh, blurt out the answers. So first and foremost, what's your favorite color? Blue. Who's your favorite author? Daniel Steele. What is what would you say is your favorite country that you've been to? The United States. Fantastic, good answer. Uh, what about um, what's your favorite food? Oh, that's a good one. I have many favorite fish. <laughs> I think I like I like fish. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, tell us a little bit about. Uh, what we should expect from this podcast? Uh, the podcast will uh, tackle many topics in the um, care industry. Uh, all the topics will have a bearing on care for the elderly. We'll be talking about demographic trends, what we see, what the data is showing us about the demographics. Uh, we'll be talking about understanding aging. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, aging experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll be talking about person and family-centered care, and then we'll be talking about family dynamics, uh, the role that plays in the caring endeavor. Uh, you know, you have siblings, you have their spouses, you have relatives, and, you know, there's that dynamic that goes on and how you manage that. 
for the you know uh, for the interest of uh, the person receiving care we'll be talking about options in senior care we'll be talking about financing senior care we'll be talking about senior housing and we'll be talking about aging at home with um, modifications uh, that allow um, uh, your loved ones to to continue living a good quality of life in their homes, aging in place with services and modifications. We'll be talking about um, senior-friendly transportation. Uh, we'll be talking about the psychology of aging, and we'll be talking about you know ageism and uh, stereotypes. Then we'll have a whole uh, discussion on stories of care. I've had uh, the opportunity to work with many uh, direct care workers. They have a lot of stories to, to share. We'll be talking about um, uh, chronic care, is, you know, illnesses. We'll be talking about how you take care of uh, people with certain common illnesses, uh, especially dementia, things like that, Parkinson's and We'll be talking about abuse and neglect. We'll be talking about um, uh, direct care work, what it actually entails, uh, because uh, up till now there's been very little documentation of direct care work. Uh, most people don't know what that is all about, what it entails. They just see the physical aspects of uh, direct care work. They don't understand the complex other things that direct care workers do. Uh, like to make sure that there's no anxiety and fear and things like that, and how direct work care workers actually support uh, people in their care to deal with their anxieties and fears. We'll be talking about um, equity, inequities in uh, direct care, and how the, this whole notion that uh, you know uh, that costs uh, continue to be cut and uh, slashed on the backs of these workers um, who are actually expected to be the eyes and ears of healthcare teams. But, you know, they are not, people are not, their work is not valued, it's not much respected, and uh, the pay is not, is not that uh, adequate. And uh, we'll be talking about that whole, um, the career ladder of these workers and um, how up till now, they don't have very many, um, uh, very many options as uh, for their career advancement. If because right now the only track that is currently available is either you go to the nursing track, some kind of medical related track as a pharmacy technician, as an X-ray technician, as a medical assistant, and not necessarily a career track that would allow them to get expanded education and stay in the aging care field itself as supervisors or managers of services. So those are some of the things we'll be talking about. Well, Dr. Rose, thank you so much uh, again for sharing a little bit about your background, uh, your experiences, and what ultimately this podcast is going to be about. We certainly look forward to uh, two more podcasts from you. Thank you. Thank you, too. Thank you very much.